America's Homecoming Week continues on CBS when America's favorite fat cat celebrates Turkey Day. Then laugh off those extra pounds with Bugs Bunny's Thanksgiving Diet. Two great specials Wednesday. This is CBS. Do the mashed potato, do the candied yam, do the funky turkey, cause it's time to jam. If you don't want to dance, baby, that's all right. Do some nonstop shopping to work up an appetite. Make your Thanksgiving one long meal, cause the more you eat, the more grateful you are gonna feel. In the fall of 1989, CBS premiered a new Garfield special to celebrate Thanksgiving. Garfield's Thanksgiving was the 10th special based on the syndicated Orange Tabby. Bringing the lasagna guzzler out on CBS started back in 1982 with Here Comes Garfield. That special aired with It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown as a lead-in. In the years that followed, the order would be flipped and Garfield would become the lead-in. Perhaps CBS knew Charlie Brown was worth sticking around for. Especially since the iNetwork had been airing the same Charlie Brown specials since 1966. The shift that came in 1983 may have something to do with Garfield's popularity. The lasagna-loving cat was everywhere syndicated in comic strips across the nation. Peanuts was a tried-and-true property around for decades. Garfield exploded onto the scene in 1978 and never let up. The specials didn't always revolve around the holidays. Sometimes Garfield went to paradise or Hollywood, or explored his nine lives. Audiences might have scratched their heads with Garfield's Babes and Bullets, a noir take on the orange tabby. While it wasn't a typical Garfield special, it was daring enough to take a risk on something different. 1989 brought the lasagna guzzler back to his holiday roots. This time, it seemed like the most obvious holiday for him to celebrate, the one with all the food. I mean, Thanksgiving. The ad that year featured Garfield eating a turkey leg while thinking, Thanksgiving's about the important things in life. Food, friends, food, family, food. The show was set to premiere at 8pm with a Bugs Bunny special to follow. The world of Garfield takes place in suburban Muncie, Indiana. It's a comfortable place where all the track housing looks the same. One of those suburbanites is John Arbuckle, owner of Dog Odie and Cat Garfield. He was raised on a farm but moved to the city to prove his independence. His parents are still alive and he's got a younger brother, Doc Boy, with whom he often fights. Between John and Doc Boy, the battles are usually about John being a city slicker. John can be a bit clumsy, which is not a surprise considering he's six feet tall and lanky. He's an animal lover by choice and a cartoonist by trade. He's got poor luck when it comes to women and dating. More times than not, John seems to be the butt of Garfield's joke or foiled by his cat. Odie is a lovable pooch that never seems to let life run him down. He's oblivious to rudeness and buoyant when it comes to getting one over on Garfield. Although anytime Odie gets the better of the cat, it's usually by accident. Odie is a yellow-furred beagle known for his puddle of drool. 
Originally brought into the Arbuckle household by Lyman, John's original roommate, Odie became John's pet when Lyman disappeared from the Garfield universe. Odie is characterized by being full of energy, allowing him to burst onto the scene. Oh yeah, and while he thinks he's friends with Garfield, the cat thinks otherwise. And Garfield? What can you say about Garfield? He's an orange tabby who loves lasagna and hates just about everything else. Seriously, he doesn't like Odie, Normal, Mornings, Mondays, and, I believe, only tolerates John because that's where his food comes from. Born June 19, 1978, Garfield weighed 5 pounds, 6 ounces at birth. Straight out of the womb, he was in love with lasagna. And why not? He was born in Mama Leone's Italian restaurant, which sounds like the most Billy Joel of any locations ever mentioned in a comic strip. Because of his voracious appetite for pasta, Mama Leone had to choose between getting rid of Garfield or closing down the restaurant because they were running out of food. The orange tabby was sold to a pet store. One assumes that Mama Leone's Italian restaurant is still there. Maybe it's being run by her son Anthony, unless he still works at the grocery store. It's hard to say since he moved out. Once at the pet store, Garfield was acquired by John Arbuckle, a cartoonist who had always wanted a cat. And boy, did he get a cat. Though John has been known for describing Garfield as a lasagna with fur and fangs. James Robert Davis was born in Marion, Indiana in 1945. He was born to William and Betty, owners of a small black Angus farm in Fairmount, Indiana. His life on the farm parallels his future creation, John Arbuckle, even down to the fact that James and John have younger brothers. Davis once recounted that, at any given time on the farm, there were usually about 25 stray cats hanging around. Growing up, Jim, as he's known professionally, was influenced by the giants of the comic strip medium. He read the strips of Mort Walker, specifically Beetle Bailey and Hyen Lois. He followed Charles Schultz's Peanuts, Steve Canyon by Milt Caniff, and Johnny Hart's B.C. Davis's first published comic strip appeared on May 21, 1963. The strip centered around the character of Herbie and was published in Senior Wills, his high school's yearbook. After high school, Davis attended Ball State University, majoring in art and business. In 1969, Davis would go on to work for a local ad agency before assisting cartoonist Tom Ryan on his comic strip, Tumbleweeds. In 1973, Davis was contracted to the Indiana-based newspaper, The Pendleton Times, to create a gag-a-day comic strip. For three years, Davis fleshed out the adventures of insects in his strip, Norm Nat. Davis had bigger dreams than providing a daily strip to his Indiana-based readers. He attempted to go national with Norm Nat, but was shot down. An unnamed editor told Davis, Your art is good, your gags are great, but bugs? No one can relate to bugs. Davis took the advice to heart and switched gears. Norm Nat ended its run Christmas Day 1975. In the final comic strip, a giant foot fell from the sky and crushed Norm. Just two weeks later, the Pendleton Times published the newest work from Davis, a comic strip named John. 
The strip followed the adventures of Bachelor John Arbuckle, his roommate Lyman, and their respective animals, Dog Spot and Cat Garfield. From January 8, 1976 until the end of August 1977, John ran with mild success in Indiana. Davis tried to sell it into syndication, but there were no takers. Being influenced by Charles M. Schulz, the creator of Peanuts, Davis took a look at the characters he had created. He had an epiphany that would change everything. Yes, the readers of Peanuts liked Charlie Brown, the star of the show. But everyone loved Snoopy. In the John comic strip, Garfield was increasingly becoming more front and center. On September 1, 1977, the strip was renamed Garfield. Dog Spot would be changed to Odie. In late January 1978, United Features Syndicates picked up Garfield for syndication. In mid-March, the Pendleton Times published their last strip coming directly from Davis. On June 19, 1978, the nation was introduced to Garfield, a new daily comic strip. The strip was a success. Davis found that Garfield was everywhere. To capitalize on the Garfield craze, Davis put his business knowledge to good use and created Paws Incorporated in 1981. The company handled the daily comic strip and provided licenses for all things related to Garfield. With the popularity of Garfield, it was a no-brainer that the fat cat would enter into animation. In the fall of 1982, Jim Davis wrote and oversaw the production of Here Comes Garfield. The 30-minute show told the story of Odie going to the pound and Garfield's mission to break him out. The show was produced by Lee Mendelson and Bill Melendez. The two men had worked with Charles Schulz back in the 1960s, most notably on the iconic special, A Charlie Brown Christmas. On October 25, 1982, Here Comes Garfield aired at 7.30pm, sponsored by Kellogg's Cereal. The lead-in for the orange tabby was It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. The special was a big enough hit for CBS to ask for another special the following year. It was also nominated for two primetime Emmys. The show won neither, but the production team turned their attention to creating the next special, Garfield on the Town. Airing October 28, 1983, it was written by Garfield creator Jim Davis and Garfield voice Lorenzo Music. As with the previous special, Garfield on the Town was nominated for a primetime Emmy in the category of Outstanding Animated Programming. Unlike Here Comes Garfield, this special won. And this time, Garfield was the lead-in for Peanuts. CBS had a hit on their hands and wanted more. Yearly specials seemed inevitable. In 1984, the Peanuts-related producers of Lee Mendelson and Bill Melendez were out. Instead, Phil Roman produced and directed. Again, the show was a hit and won the Primetime Emmy that year. Garfield on the Town was about Garfield striking out to find his origin. Garfield in the Rough finds John and friends camping out. The yearly specials were airing at the end of October. But in 1989, Garfield's Thanksgiving was aired just a day before Turkey Day. The special told the story of John Arbuckle trying to impress veterinarian Liz with a Thanksgiving dinner. When it all goes south, hilarity ensues. 
Now all they had to do was assemble the perfect cast. Although a lot of the cast was already together, so they didn't really have to do that. Anyways, on to the cast. Numero uno on the call sheet for Garfield's Thanksgiving was Lorenzo Music. Best known as Carlton the Doorman on Rhoda, Music's voice was instantly recognizable for his low tones and right wit. Born Gerald Davis Music in Brooklyn, New York, he changed his name to Lorenzo for spiritual reasons. Lorenzo is a derivative of the word Laurel, which was a symbol of wisdom and accomplishment. With his wife Henrietta, Music formed a comedy duo that lasted almost a decade. In 1972, Music and Henrietta wrote the theme song to The Bob Newhart Show. With the success of Carlton the Doorman, Music made it his trademark never to be photographed directly. His dry sense of humor made him a perfect fit for the lasagna-loving Garfield, a role he originated in the first TV special. Music, like the rest of the main cast, continued their roles on the Saturday morning show Garfield and Friends. That CBS series was already in its second season during Thanksgiving 1989 and proved itself a hit. Tom Huge was born in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1944. He started his career as John Arbuckle in the 1983 special Garfield on the Town. In fact, looking over his career, he's almost only played John Arbuckle. When you notice that Huge is from Indiana, as well as Garfield creator Jim Davis, a certain Midwest connection is made. Both attended Ball State University and were in the Theta Xi fraternity. As frat brothers, it looks as if Huge was the only choice to play John Arbuckle. Greg Berger was born in December 1950 in St. Louis, Missouri. He started his career in voice work in the 1978 Japanese import Ringing Bell, providing the English voice of Chirin the Ram. From there, he appeared in the live-action classic Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Through his career, Berger has appeared on screen as much as he's provided voices. By the time he originated the voice of Odie, he had appeared on One Day at a Time and The New Adventures of Gigantor. Julie Kathleen Payne was born in Sweet Home, Oregon in 1946. Upon graduating South Eugene High School, Payne moved to California. There, she attended Santa Clara University, majoring in drama. Payne also attended San Francisco State University, majoring in French. She started her acting career in the 1970 feature film, The Strawberry Statement. In the following year, she provided a voice in the George Lucas debut, THX 1138. In the late 60s, she joined a comedy improv troupe called The Committee. She stayed with the troupe for five years and left to pursue other projects. Payne and former The Committee actress Ruth Silveria wrote a two-woman satirical review called People Pie, which received great reviews. As the 1970s progressed, Payne found herself on a variety of TV shows, mostly comedies and voice work. In the 1980s, she came to the Garfield gang in Garfield on the Town, where she played veterinarian Dr. Liz Wilson. 
This was in 1984, when she also played a mime waitress in This is Spinal Tap. That same year, she was a series regular on the short-lived show The Duck Factory. Known for being a comedian, it should come as no surprise that she did a six-episode stint on The Tracy Ullman Show. By the time 1989 rolled around, she was a seasoned veteran of voiceovers. She reprised her role as Liz on Garfield and Friends, as well as Garfield's Thanksgiving. Patricia Ann Angela Bridget Carroll, Pat to her friends, was born May 5, 1927 in Shreveport, Louisiana. When she was five years old, her parents, Maurice and Catherine, moved to Los Angeles, California. She appeared in local stage productions and was for sure bit by the acting bug. When World War II came around, Pat enlisted in the Army as a civilian actress technician. In 1948, she debuted in the movie Hometown Girl, and her career started in earnest. In the 50s, she appeared as a guest star on shows like Dennis Day and the Pepsi-Cola Playhouse. Carol would break into voice acting in 1956 in the film short Meet Mother Magoo opposite Jim Backus, where she played the title character. It would be a decade before she found her way to a recording booth again, this time on the Super 6 for De Patty Freeling. Along the way, she was cast as Jane Jetson in The Jetsons. She was replaced after recording just one episode, prompting Carol to sue Hanna-Barbera over breach of contract. It was later revealed that the judge ruled in favor of Hanna-Barbera. She kept busy between voice roles appearing on Love American Style and The Love Boat. In the mid-50s, Carol married Lee Carcian, and the couple had three children. The marriage broke up in the mid-70s after 21 years. In the 80s, she was a regular on Galaxy High School and Hazel on Foofer. At the same time she landed the role of Grandma on Garfield's Thanksgiving, she was enjoying success as Ursula in Disney's The Little Mermaid. Desiree Goyette has worked in entertainment as a composer, actress, and producer. Born in San Jose, California, she started her career composing music for the 1981 TV special No Man's Valley. She was married to Lee Mendelson, the producer of Vintage Peanuts programs, as well as the first two Garfield specials. In 1980, she appeared as herself in The Lou Rawls Parade of Stars. Perhaps it was this connection to Rawls that brought that singer to Garfield. In this Thanksgiving special, Goyette sang the song It's a Quiet Thanksgiving, but her involvement didn't end there. She was also the co-music composer, working alongside Ed Bogus, who was once in the 60s cult electronic psychedelic band, the United States of America. After these messages, we'll be right back with the premiere of Garfield's Thanksgiving. One of Santa's reindeer is missing. Here he is. Prancer's in the shed near my house. He's one of Santa's. He was playing with a full deck. Now the kids of Three Oaks are the only ones who can save Christmas. It's pure magic, rated G. 
Come see Prancer fly at a theater near you. Super fast, it's a blast, Matchbox. Get ready for... Matchbox Super Fast. And the ultimate challenge, you build them super fast. Matchbox Super Fast. You customize them to compete. You pick the power. Matchbox Super Fast. Wow. Which will win, slicks or knobbies? Now you race in the ultimate challenge. Matchbox Super Fast. Matchbox Super Fast Machines Ultimate Challenge. Batteries not included. You put it together. We got the best tree they had And special gifts for mom and dad It's the best time of year Now everyone's here Toll House It's good to be home Chocolatey warm Toll House cookies Made only with Nestle Toll House morsels Make your house a Toll House Toll House It's good to be home If you watched the premiere of Garfield's Thanksgiving, the date was November 22, 1989, with Thanksgiving falling the next day. America was listening to Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli, the number one song in the land. During prime time, household viewers were watching Roseanne, ABC's highest rated show. The TV Guide cover featured Courtney Cox and Barry Bostwick with the caption, Why TV Strips the Sex Out of My Novels by Judith Krantz. If you were a kid in 1989, maybe you watched the Thanksgiving Day football games. Were you rooting for the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions? Were you heartbroken when the Browns lost by three? Or maybe you were watching CBS to see the Philadelphia Eagles win over the Dallas Cowboys 27-0. Just like every other Garfield holiday special, this one opens with the rising sun. There are so many rising suns in Garfield, I have to assume he's got a huge following in Japan. Seriously, I think we can make a case that Garfield is more Japanese than Italian plumber Mario. I've also seen Garfield use more plungers than Mario, so I think we can also make a case for Garfield being more super. Because it's morning and cats are notorious bastards, Garfield wakes up John. The cat wants his owner to get up and get him some pancakes for breakfast. John tries to shrug this off and go back to bed. But Garfield brings out a two-man marching band with Odie on cymbals. John flares the lens, asking if people with goldfish have this problem. The answer is no. The reason is because goldfish don't eat pancakes or have access to marching bands. Unless you're the Smith family and then you also have an alien. Wait, could it be that American Dad is just a combination of like a CIA spy movie Dad meets Alf and Garfield? Whoa, mind blown. But I'm on to you, Seth MacFarlane. After the unhealthiest of breakfast, but still like eating kale when compared to McDonald's, Garfield is ready for his morning nap. Odie comes running by, and the time now becomes Abuse the Dog O'Clock. Before the fat cat can kick Odie off the table, a generic wall calendar catches his eye. There's a note on it to take the cat to the vet. Do people really have a page-a-day calendar that they mount on the wall and write appointments on? I've had page-a-day calendars and they were always on my desk. 
and there were times when I forgot to flip them over, meaning I would not write any kind of appointment on it. All I'm saying is that if I did write down some appointments, I'd probably miss them. And if I hadn't missed them, maybe Aunt Edna would have made it to her 65th birthday. The, the lesson here is that calendars are lethal weapons. Garfield will be damned if he'll let John take him to the vets. So he tears the page off and stuffs it in Odie's mouth. I hear that's how some of our presidents get rid of documents as well. But behind that page is Thursday, which just happens to be Thanksgiving. For Garfield, Thanksgiving is practically a national holiday. Wait, I mean, it's the day to stuff yourself. Wait, I mean, Garfield thinks it's a celebration of food and he should eat as much as possible. Yeah, that one works. Garfield tears the calendar off the wall to show John it's almost Thanksgiving. John says they need to go to the store and pick up a turkey and all the fixins. Garfield, overjoyed at his future belly being stuffed, hugs John's face. Bring on the Lou Rawls! During the brief credits, we see Garfield and John do so much shopping, the groceries fill up the car. While apparently driving home, John drops the bomb that they're going to the vet's office. Garfield freaks out, and the car starts to swerve back and forth across the streets. It's a good thing they're the only car on the road. But they're still slamming into the curb and what looks like the buildings. I have a feeling John's insurance is going to skyrocket. As a kid, I used to watch this for all the fun of Garfield, but as an adult, all I can see are the adult problems. At the vet's office, we see a whole waiting room full of sick pets, including what looks like Orson from U.S. Acres. In the canon of this show, maybe the woman who's holding him is the owner of the farm. But I don't think we ever saw her on the show. I would remember hoop earrings that huge. Garfield accuses John of bringing him in for a checkup so he can check out Dr. Liz. Time will bear Garfield correct on this. Though I don't recall if they ever got married, I know they at least dated. I can't imagine a date with John would be all that great. I picture lots of sweaty moments and wet second base handprints on Liz's pants. John enters the exam room and tries to be familiar with Liz. She's all business and doesn't even want to be addressed by her first name. This is not a woman John has a chance with. She's too uptight, too business, and probably already has a jealous girlfriend. Liz Dr. Wilson, as she's known professionally, examines Garfield by twisting all of the cat's arms and legs. I assume she got her medical degree from Wetzel's Pretzels. John tries to ask Dr. Wilson out on a date. Not just once, but several times. Take a hint, John, she's just not into you. Never in a million years. I have more chance to make my podcast into a TV show than you do to date Liz. I mean, Dr. Wilson. John says he'll hold his breath until Dr. Wilson gives in. In the meantime, she examines Garfield and determines he's as healthy and as big as a horse. The vet says Garfield will have to go on a diet. Doesn't she know the word diet is just die with a T at the end? Dr. Wilson rattles off all kinds of diet info as Garfield cries out in protest. John's a deep shade of red, likely starting to hallucinate and quietly beg for death. John finally gives up and passes out. Garfield collapses from thinking about the effort to diet. Out of sheer pity, Liz says she'll go out with John. 
He says she can come over for Thanksgiving. They've just started dating and he's already not into the idea of going to see her folks for Turkey Day. It's pretty insensitive that she would pick John over family on Thanksgiving. Would it have hurt John so much to think that maybe she's got other plans? Well, apparently she accepts and... After these messages, we'll be right back. If you have a friend or a loved one who's winning the battle against drug and alcohol addiction, then you truly know the meaning of Thanksgiving. Share your gratitude. Good morning. It's time for a healthy breakfast. This time, your kids will eat it. A cereal made from wholesome oats. Don't worry. Your kids will eat it. Yes, wholesome Quaker oats. It's Cinnamon Life cereal. Want to know why your kids will eat it? Cinnamon Life has cinnamon deliciousness, lightly sweetened on the inside, toasted oats on the outside. Cinnamon Life tastes so delicious, even grown-up kids will eat it. Let's play Mikey. I'll be Mikey, and I'll eat all your Life cereal. Now! Cinnamon Life cereal. Unless they're weird, your kids will eat it. America's homecoming week continues with Bugs Bunny's hot tips for a perfect Thanksgiving. First, find the perfect bird. And above all, stay calm. It's Bugs Bunny's Thanksgiving diet next. Back from break and back home, John dances with grocery bags and sings about the date with his dream check. That's some awful 70s thinking when it's almost the 90s. Then again, John always did seem a little behind the times. At dinner, Garfield finds a leaf of lettuce in his cat bowl. He's dismayed at how little there is. John says that's not his dinner and then goes on to tear the leaf of lettuce in half. Garfield eats it and then tries to sneak food from the kitchen. Catching him red-handed, Odie is given the mission to protect the food from Garfield. That's good news for Garfield. That dog couldn't even defend cheese from mice. It'll be easy pickings for Garfield. Except that it won't. Garfield tries a karate chop on the dog and Odie blows his food whistle. It's enough to put Garfield out of commission. Later on, Garfield weighs in. Strangely, the bathroom scale sounds a lot like Dr. Liz. Maybe it's a coincidence, or maybe just a sign of a small cast pulling double duty. Tough call. The scale says she's there to help the cat and then mistakes him for being Orson Welles. After a few jokes at Garfield's expense, the tabby jumps on the scale and puts it out of commission. The scale's last word is Rosebud. Now the entire show will be about trying to figure out who the scale really was and what it all meant. Flashbacks in black and white, here we come. It doesn't happen, but if it did, it wouldn't be any weirder than Babes and Bullets. Anywho, Garfield trolls the kitchen for Odie while taking cover behind a set of crocs. You know the kind, they stored all your ingredients before Tupperware was invented. The biggest of the crocs is for cookies, which is as it should be. But the smallest is sugar, and the second to the smallest is salt. Salt? You always need more sugar than salt. These should be reversed. In fact, the one for salt shouldn't even exist. You can store salt in the container it came in. I mean, from everything I hear, salt can preserve itself. Garfield tries to get into the cookie crock and finds Odie inside and blowing his whistle. The dog is taking his job as a snack monitor way too seriously. Garfield keeps trying the other crocs and this leads to a game of three-card Odie, as the dog keeps popping up from each one. And then, all of them! 
The next day, Thanksgiving Day finds Garfield irritable from not eating, and John on cloud nine over Liz coming over. With three hours until turkey time, John decides to get the turkey out of the freezer. This is where inexperience, the bachelor lifestyle, and hilarity all exist together. The cookbook says things like remove turkey from freezer 24 hours before cooking, and rub butter on skin. Just like modern-day news channels, John discards what he doesn't agree with and is way too literal on other points. That's why his skin has a buttery sheen. John botches his way through the rest of the fixins, and I predict a big ol' feast at Bob's Big Boy in the near future. Or the Neely House, but you gotta book early, that place fills up fast. As soon as John's out of sight, Garfield sabotages the veggies by over-garlicking them. In the bathroom, John is shaving and giving a pep talk that's either for Garfield or his own reflection. Either way, he's talking about wanting something and reaching out for it. Like a woman, because they have no wants or desires of their own. Right? At least that's the message I'm getting from the idea that John could possess Liz. You know, this might not have aged well. But John is so manly, he hurts his widow face at the first stroke of shaving. In the bedroom, John tries to find the clothes that will make the man. Everything John tries on, from a Saturday night fever suit to a gorilla costume, seems like he's trying too hard. Though he should mix Popeye and the lumberjack outfit, that might seem original. If John and Liz do get together, they're going to have a lot of variety if they use their love life to cosplay. But if you dress as Popeye, you have to make sure there's a safe word. When sex and spinach come together, things get out of hand fast. I hear. Okay, fine, I'll admit it, I know from experience. I yam what I yam. In the end, John dresses like himself, but without pants. Though the symbology is that John is only half there, a perfect metaphor for who he is. Without noticing the draft through his drawers, he answers the door to find Liz in front of him. She immediately spots the boxer shorts and has to comment. It's a good thing John's not too excited to see Liz, if you know what I mean. That would have been even more awkwarder. Slamming the door in Liz's face, John dashes off to put on pants. John invites Liz to get comfortable on the couch while he checks out the smelly meal in the kitchen. Odie pounces on the vet and Garfield even tries to make the most of it. Liz takes a moment to ask Garfield how the diet's going, pointing out that he's still the size of an aircraft carrier. You know, you just saw him yesterday. Stop all the fat shaming, Dr. Wilson. It wasn't cool then, and it's aged about as well as John's possession of Liz. Man, this show is full of wrong messages. As Liz runs through all the symptoms Garfield could experience from vitamin deficiencies, the tabby cat acts them all out. The vet thinks the diet might be too hard on Garfield, so she'll let him skip the diet in favor of exercise. You know, if Garfield knew how to exercise, I don't think he'd be an orange lump. The cat is overjoyed that he'll get to partake in Thanksgiving. Until he realizes that he and John unintentionally screwed it all up. In the kitchen, John is sulking that Thanksgiving is ruined. Garfield knows that John's grandma could save the day but he's got to get the message to thick-headed John. He starts to hand off all of Grandma's favorites, including the record Biker Blues. 
I'm starting to think that Granny Arbuckle and Graham's Bear may be kindred spirits. Or it was just fun to take old people in the 80s and make them young and hip. As Liz sits alone in the parlor, John calls Grandma, who arrives just as the landline is hung up. She shows up like a badass, kicking open the door and being larger than life. Good thing she's on our side. Grandma is just a step away from spreading tentacles and harassing mermaids under the sea. Out in the living room, John kills time by wowing Liz with the true meaning of Thanksgiving. If this were happening today, it might have been a little more historically accurate, excluding words like Indian and Jello mold. While John flounders poetically, we catch up with Garfield and Granny in the kitchen. Now that Granny's not wearing her jacket, we can see she predicted the rise of Steven Universe years later. Unless there's some time travel hoobie-jooby where Granny is an older version of Steven. Crossover? Granny looks over the disaster John left her with and, hefting a chainsaw, gets to work on saving Christmas. All good holiday stories should include a chainsaw. Christmas Vacation did, and that thing's a classic, Margo. Grandma deep-fat fries the turkey and shows Garfield how much butter, brown sugar, and marshmallows are needed to turn a vegetable into a vector for diabetes. Spoilers, it's at least a cup of each. Granny gets everything done and manically set up. She tells Garfield that this spread should get John into Liz's pants because a guy who can cook will always be a panty melter. Also, a guy who can plan. Granny leaves like the whirlwind of energy she is, leaving as quickly as she arrived. John presents the Thanksgiving feast to his date, who now looks at John a lot differently. This show then slips into the stream of reverence as we see the group praying as a sincere song from Desiree Goyette plays over it. No joke, I love this moment. The message is to find Thanksgiving every day. <clears throat> I, uh, I, uh, I'll... I'll be okay. It's, it's just so beautiful to watch. John walks Liz to the door so she can escape from the madness. I'm glad John didn't try to baby it's cold outside her into staying. She apparently had a good time and they make a date to do it again next year. That's how you know your date went well. You do it once a year. John says he's thankful for Grandma and urges Garfield and Odie to walk off their fat bellies. Surprisingly, Garfield gets off the couch and goes to exercise. Odie, having little experience at being fat, tries to get up without his heart exploding but finds it difficult. Garfield shows up as a coach and gets the mutt doing some serious push-ups. The end. After these messages, we'll take a look at life beyond Garfield's Thanksgiving. Back from break and back home, John dances with grocery bags and sings about the date with his dream chick. That's some awful 70s thinking when it's almost the 90s. Then again, John always did seem a little behind the times. At dinner, Garfield finds a leaf of lettuce in his cat bowl. He's dismayed at how little there is. John says that's not his dinner and then goes on to tear the leaf of lettuce in half. Garfield eats it and then tries to sneak food from the kitchen. Catching him red-handed, Odie is given the mission to protect the food from Garfield. That's good news for Garfield. That dog couldn't even defend cheese from mice. It'll be easy pickings for Garfield. Except that it won't. Garfield tries a karate chop on the dog and Odie blows his food whistle. It's enough to put Garfield out of commission. 
Later on, Garfield weighs in. Strangely, the bathroom scale sounds a lot like Dr. Liz. Maybe it's a coincidence, or maybe just a sign of a small cast pulling double duty. Tough call. The scale says she's there to help the cat and then mistakes him for being Orson Welles. After a few jokes at Garfield's expense, the tabby jumps on the scale and puts it out of commission. The scale's last word is Rosebud. Now the entire show will be about trying to figure out who the scale really was and what it all meant. Flashbacks in black and white, here we come. It doesn't happen, but if it did, it wouldn't be any weirder than Babes and Bullets. Anywho, Garfield trolls the kitchen for Odie while taking cover behind a set of crocs. You know the kind, they stored all your ingredients before Tupperware was invented. The biggest of the crocs is for cookies, which is as it should be. But the smallest is sugar, and the second to the smallest is salt. Salt? You always need more sugar than salt. These should be reversed. In fact, the one for salt shouldn't even exist. You can store salt in the container it came in. I mean, from everything I hear, salt can preserve itself. Garfield tries to get into the cookie crock and finds Odie inside and blowing his whistle. The dog is taking his job as a snack monitor way too seriously. Garfield keeps trying the other crocs and this leads to a game of three-card Odie, as the dog keeps popping up from each one. And then, all of them! The next day, Thanksgiving Day finds Garfield irritable from not eating and John on cloud nine over Liz coming over. With three hours until turkey time, John decides to get the turkey out of the freezer. This is where inexperience, the bachelor lifestyle, and hilarity all exist together. The cookbook says things like remove turkey from freezer 24 hours before cooking, and rub butter on skin. Just like modern day news channels, John discards what he doesn't agree with and is way too literal on other points. That's why his skin has a buttery sheen. John botches his way through the rest of the fixins, and I predict a big ol' feast at Bob's Big Boy in the near future. Or the Neely House, but you gotta book early, that place fills up fast. As soon as John's out of sight, Garfield sabotages the veggies by over-garlicking them. In the bathroom, John is shaving and giving a pep talk that's either for Garfield or his own reflection. Either way, he's talking about wanting something and reaching out for it. Like a woman, because they have no wants or desires of their own. Right? At least that's the message I'm getting from the idea that John could possess Liz. You know, this might not have aged well. But John is so manly, he hurts his widow face at the first stroke of shaving. In the bedroom, John tries to find the clothes that will make the man. Everything John tries on, from a Saturday Night Fever suit to a gorilla costume, seems like he's trying too hard. Though he should mix Popeye and the lumberjack outfit, that might seem original. If John and Liz do get together, they're gonna have a lot of variety if they use their love life to cosplay. But if you dress as Popeye, you have to make sure there's a safe word. When sex and spinach come together, things get out of hand fast. I hear. Okay, fine, I'll admit it, I know from experience. I am what I am. In the end, John dresses like himself, but without pants. Though the symbology is that John is only half there, a perfect metaphor for who he is. Without noticing the draft through his drawers, he answers the door to find Liz in front of him. 
she immediately spots the boxer shorts and has to comment. It's a good thing John's not too excited to see Liz, if you know what I mean. That would have been even more awkwarder. Slamming the door in Liz's face, John dashes off to put on pants. John invites Liz to get comfortable on the couch while he checks out the smelly meal in the kitchen. Odie pounces on the vet and Garfield even tries to make the most of it. Liz takes a moment to ask Garfield how the diet's going, pointing out that he's still the size of an aircraft carrier. You know, you just saw him yesterday. Stop all the fat shaming, Dr. Wilson. It wasn't cool then, and it's aged about as well as John's possession of Liz. Man, this show is full of wrong messages. As Liz runs through all the symptoms Garfield could experience from vitamin deficiencies, the tabby cat acts them all out. The vet thinks the diet might be too hard on Garfield, so she'll let him skip the diet in favor of exercise. You know, if Garfield knew how to exercise, I don't think he'd be an orange lump. The cat is overjoyed that he'll get to partake in Thanksgiving, until he realizes that he and John unintentionally screwed it all up. In the kitchen, John is sulking that Thanksgiving is ruined. Garfield knows that John's grandma could save the day but he's got to get the message to thick-headed John. He starts to hand off all of Grandma's favorites, including the record Biker Blues. I'm starting to think that Granny Arbuckle and Graham's Bear may be kindred spirits, or it was just fun to take old people in the 80s and make them young and hip. As Liz sits alone in the parlor, John calls Grandma, who arrives just as the landline is hung up. She shows up like a badass, kicking open the door and being larger than life. Good thing she's on our side. Grandma is just a step away from spreading tentacles and harassing mermaids under the sea. Out in the living room, John kills time by wowing Liz with the true meaning of Thanksgiving. If this were happening today, it might have been a little more historically accurate, excluding words like Indian and Jello mold. While John flounders poetically, we catch up with Garfield and Granny in the kitchen. Now that Granny's not wearing her jacket, we can see she predicted the rise of Steven Universe years later. Unless there's some time travel hoobie-joobie where Granny is an older version of Steven. Crossover? Granny looks over the disaster John left her with and, hefting a chainsaw, gets to work on saving Christmas. All good holiday stories should include a chainsaw. Christmas Vacation did and that thing's a classic, Margot. Grandma deep fat fries the turkey and shows Garfield how much butter, brown sugar, and marshmallows are needed to turn a vegetable into a vector for diabetes. Spoilers, it's at least a cup of each. Granny gets everything done and manically set up. She tells Garfield that this spread should get John into Liz's pants because a guy who can cook will always be a panty melter. Also, a guy who can plan. Granny leaves like the whirlwind of energy she is, leaving as quickly as she arrived. John presents the Thanksgiving feast to his date, who now looks at John a lot differently. This show then slips into the stream of reverence as we see the group praying as a sincere song from Desiree Goyette plays over it. No joke, I love this moment. The message is to find Thanksgiving every day. <clears throat> I, uh, I, uh, oh. I'll be okay. It, it's just so beautiful to watch. John walks Liz to the door so she can escape from the madness. 
I'm glad John didn't try to baby its cold outside her into staying. She apparently had a good time and they make a date to do it again next year. That's how you know your date went well, you do it once a year. John says he's thankful for Grandma and urges Garfield and Odie to walk off their fat bellies. Surprisingly, Garfield gets off the couch and goes to exercise. Odie, having little experience at being fat, tries to get up without his heart exploding but finds it difficult. Garfield shows up as a coach and gets the mutt doing some serious push-ups. The end. After these messages, we'll take a look at life beyond Garfield's Thanksgiving. Look who's at Wendy's for the holidays. Charlie and the old dogs go to heaven characters. There's one inside each Wendy's kids meal. Or they're just 99 cents when you buy regular fries. Collect all six old dogs go to heaven characters for your pups. Now at Wendy's. Homecoming week continues with a fun-filled all-star Thanksgiving Day Parade. Catch all the excitement. Plus, roll out the good times with Muppet Baby's Mayhem. Then get ready for the adventures of Dank the Little Dinosaur. Gosh! And see a special holiday treat, the Care Bears Movie 2. Join our Thanksgiving Day Fun Fest, only on CBS. Garfield, I need your help. Hmm, that goes without saying. We have to tell cats out there about new Alpo cat food. Hey, cat food is for the unimaginative. Imagine this. Alpo cat food, so full of nutritious proteins, every serving's like a balanced seven-course meal. And the taste. I'll be the judge of that. So, Garfield, what would you tell cats about Alpo? Two. Demand seconds. New Alpo cat food, canned and dry varieties, tested and mm. approved. America's Homecoming Week continues on CBS with the 14th Annual Circus of the Stars. Magic and danger as Hollywood takes the challenge under the big top tonight at 9. Thursday at 8, America's Homecoming Week continues. Thanksgiving Day is coming. And for Charlie Brown, that can only mean... Um, it's a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. These days, everyone's going back to the future, where people are looking at the world through very different glasses. Now bring part of Back to the Future back with you. Drop by any Pizza Hut restaurant and get a pair of futuristic solar shades. Inspired by the movie Back to the Future Part 2. Only $1.99 with any Pizza Hut pizza. Collect a different pair each week while supplies last. Solar shades from Pizza Hut. They're going like there's no tomorrow. Pizza Hut, make it crazy. Lorenzo Music appeared on Tailspin a number of times. He continued to voice Garfield in all the TV specials. After Garfield and Friends went off the air, Music would voice one-off characters, but retired for the most part. On August 4, 2001, Music passed away at the age of 64 from complications related to lung and bone cancer. His remains were cremated and scattered on the sea. Tom Huge would reprise his role as John Arbuckle in all the TV specials. His last credit as John was in the 2005 direct-to-DVD special, Garfield Cattails. During the Garfield and Friends years, Huge and John Barnard wrote the songs for all the U.S. Acres segments. Greg Berger, the voice of Odie, has over 300 credits to his name. Throughout his career, Berger has played a variety of roles. He voiced Grimlock on The Transformers, Flint Westwood on Gem, and Orson Pig on U.S. Acres. But no matter what Berger moves on to, 
there is one character he constantly returns to, Odie. From the very beginning of the Garfield specials in the 80s, through a possible big-screen Garfield movie in the 2020s, Berger has been the only actor to voice the character of Odie. Berger continues to act in all kinds of media, from TV shows to movies and a ton of video games. Julie Payne concentrated mostly on live-action television work after her stint in the Garfield universe. She appeared on Beverly Hills 90210 and Curb Your Enthusiasm. In 2008, she returned to the Garfield universe in The Garfield Show. She appeared in five episodes across a four-year span as Dr. Liz Wilson and is her last professional credit. It's possible she's gone back to stage work, it's also possible that she's enjoying a quiet life with her husband Richard. The two have been married since 1971 and have enjoyed over 50 years of marriage. Wherever she is, we wish her well. After Garfield's Thanksgiving, Pat Carroll would reprise her role as Ursula in Little Mermaid-related projects for Disney. She worked here and there in live-action shows like ER and Designing Women. In 2020, she had completed a voice role as Ursula for The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse. As of 2022, Carol lives a quiet life as a Roman Catholic. She's 95 years old and we wish her a very happy Thanksgiving. Desiree Goyette stayed with the Garfield franchise, writing music and songs with fellow composer Ed Bogus. Funny enough, the two got married in 1993, had two children together, and are still married. While Goyette continued to compose music for television, her last credit is for a documentary in 2004. From what I can find, she retired from mainstream media to pursue her own ambitions as a performer, producer, and publisher. Goyette and Bogus run Light Child Publishing, specializing in inspirational music. Albums Goyette has produced can be found on Amazon. She's also music director of the music ministry team at Unity in Marin, California. In case you wondered, here's a few fast facts about Thanksgiving. In Paris, there is a store named Thanksgiving that sells American food to tourists and expatriates. If you happen to be in France, you can go there for American food like Skippy peanut butter, Jello instant pudding, Pop-Tarts, and other American delicacies. The first Thanksgiving in North America was celebrated in Newfoundland, Canada in 1578. It predated the American Thanksgiving by a cool 43 years. Who would have thought America ripped off Canada, eh? But the Massachusetts crowd had to one-up the Canadians. That's why the first American Thanksgiving lasted for three days. Glutton much? We all know that Black Friday is the busiest shopping day of the year. Retail pulls out all the stops and loss leaders to drive holiday shopping into their outlets. In the plumbing field, due to all the stopped-up toilets, it's referred to as Brown Friday and is the busiest day of the year for plumbers and septic companies. In late 1952, there was so much leftover Thanksgiving turkey, it seemed like a shame to waste it. 
what to do with 260 tons of surplus gobble gobble. One of the employees at Swanson said he didn't know, but suggested the company plate it in trays and freeze it. Believe it or not, this was the moment TV dinners were invented and became a staple of the 1950s. Sarah Hale, a writer and editor, lobbied for three decades for Thanksgiving to become a national holiday. In 1863, the message finally sank in when she wrote to President Abraham Lincoln. A week after receiving Hale's letter, Lincoln declared Thanksgiving a national holiday. Hale was also famous for creating American Ladies Magazine and spotlighting women's issues of equality long before the suffrage movement of the 20th century. Not only that, but the mother of Thanksgiving wrote the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. No Turkey Day would be complete without a mention of Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. When it started back in 1924, one element we consider iconic today was missing. That's right, there were no balloons. It would take until 1927 for the balloons to be incorporated into the mix. The first parade did have puppets, celebrities, and singers on floats with an appearance by Santa Claus. Oh yeah, and Macy's had live animals on loan from the Central Park Zoo. Back then, it was cool. Today, it would be a liability nightmare. Finally, on average, here's the damage in most American homes. 46 million turkeys sold, which is about 1.5 billion pounds. 40.5 million rolls. 250 million pounds of potatoes. 20 million green bean casseroles, 80 million pounds of cranberry sauce, which is about 5 million gallons, all topped off with 30 million pounds of gravy and an estimated 50 million pumpkin pies. The average person consumes between 2,500 and 4,500 calories at the Thanksgiving table. That's the same as eating between 4 to 8 Big Macs in a single sitting. It's no wonder that Brown Friday's a thing. In the years after the Garfield specials, cartoonist Jim Davis continued to write and draw his daily strips. There would be a total of 12 CBS specials and a Saturday morning series that would run for seven seasons and 121 episodes. That show would be a combination of Garfield as well as the characters from Davis's other creation, U.S. Acres. By the mid-1990s, there was no more Saturday morning series. CBS weren't asking for any more Garfield specials. The Daily Strip continued and still continues to this day with over 15,000 produced. Garfield has been used as a mascot to recruit kids into the Cub Scouts. The orange feline was insanely popular as a plush with suction cups on its paws. It was rare to drive in the late 80s and not see a car with one on the window. The 2000s saw Garfield come to the big screen voiced by Lorenzo Music replacement Bill Murray. That first movie brought in a worldwide gross of $203 million. It earned a sequel two years later in a movie that wasn't as well received, bringing in a total of $143 million on a $60 million budget meant that Garfield's time on the big screen was over. For now. The Garfield Show came out of nowhere in 2008 and ran for five seasons. 
It came in one episode short of tying Garfield and Friends. Unlike the previous series, Garfield and John were now CGI and really brought the comic strip aspect to life. Jim Davis also started the Professor Garfield Foundation to promote children's literacy. The Foundation is a nonprofit organization. Their mission is free delivery of innovative and motivational digital learning content with a primary emphasis on children's literacy and creative expression. They can be found at ProfessorGarfield.org. Jim Davis also stopped drawing Garfield in traditional ways starting in 2011. That was the year he switched over to a computer tablet. Since 2019, Davis has been holding weekly auctions to auction off the original hand-drawn strips that have been kept in a climate-controlled safe to prevent deterioration. While Garfield may not be as popular as he once was across multiple medias, he holds the record for being the most syndicated comic strip in the world, appearing in more than 2,600 newspapers a day. Now that Viacom CBS owns Garfield, the Fat Cat is slated to find a home on Nickelodeon with a new show. There are also plans for a CGI big screen movie with Jurassic World actor Chris Pratt as Garfield. With Jim Davis writing the strip while other collaborators draw and paint it, Garfield can seemingly survive forever. It's safe to say that Viacom didn't buy the property to sit on it. I'm sure that, while we can treasure the past, the future is wide open for our favorite lasagna guzzler. Was Garfield's Thanksgiving a favorite of yours? Do you have a different opinion? Did we stir any Thanksgiving memories about the 80s you'd like to share? Listen until the end for our contact information and let us know. Until next time, happy Thanksgiving and thanks for tuning in. Mashed potato, do the candied yam, do the funky turkey, cause it's time to jam. If you don't wanna dance, baby, that's alright. Do some non-stop shopping to work up an appetite. Make your Thanksgiving one long meal. Cause the more you eat, the more grateful you are gonna feel. Thank you for joining us at the Saturday Morning Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. If you could do us a favor, please leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to drop us a line, please write to satmornpod at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at satmornpod. If you're interested in supporting us to help create more of these things, Find us at patreon.com slash saturdaymorn. Supporters will get access to extra content, get monthly shoutouts, and receive email priority. Do you have any vintage Saturday morning memories? Email us your story and we could read it on the next episode. Once, twice, I'm going to sing this song. I'm so obsessed and I don't know why. Nailed it. The dog is taking his jog as... Jog?
The dog is taking... Oh, that's where I screwed up. The dog is taking his jog as a log in a bog in the fog, yog. Slamming the door in Liz's face, John dashes off to put on pants. Damn it. My voice keeps cracking. I swear I'm not going through puberty, listeners. It would be a decade before she found her way to a recording booth again. <clears throat> My voice is going to go. Let's record it like this. It would be a decade before she found her way to a recording booth, this time on the Super Six to Patty Freeling. Oh, darling, I could have been Harvey Fiestine. Near, far, wherever you are, I believe that the line. Heart will go on, on, on to a drive through at Wendy's. Get me a spicy chicken sandwich and fries and a Coke and barbecue sauce. Cause I believe that my heart wants some lunch. No, nobody will ever hear that. Okay, bye-bye.